India takes charge of the G20 process after a summit in Indonesia that was marked by crises and then by sudden consensus for a joint communique. How hard will hosting the summit next year in Delhi be? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sahasini Heather. This is episode 88. We're going to take you through the highlights of the G20 summit in Bali and the challenges as well as the opportunities for India in the year ahead. Now, that moment was captured this week as Indonesian President Joko Widodo handed over the gavel or baton next to Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Here is what the Prime Minister said at the conclusion of the G20. Listen in. Excellencies, Bharat G20 ka jimma aise samay le raha hai jab vishwa geopolitical tanavo arthik mandi khadyanna aur urdu ki badi hui kimaton aur mahamari ke dirghakalin dupadhamo se ek saath juj raha hai aise samay vishwa G20 ki taraf आशा की नजर से देखता है आज मैं यह आश्वासन देना चाहता हूं कि भारत की जी ट्वेंटी अध्यक्षता इंक्लूसिव एम्बिशियस डिसिसिव और एक्शन ओरिएंटेड होगी एक्सलेंसी अगले एक साल में हमारा प्रयत्न रहेगा कि जी ट्वेंटी नए विचारों की परिकल्पना के लिए और सामूहिक एक्शन को गति देने के लिए एक ग्लोबल प्राइम मूवर की तरह काम करे सो द प्राइम मिनिस्टर देयर रियली सेटिंग आउट द चैलेंजिंग टाइम्स फॉर द जी ट्वेंटी वट इज द जी ट्वेंटी इट सेल्फ लेट्स टेल यू वेरी क्विकली कोर्स इट्स अ ग्रुपिंग ऑफ नाइनटीन कंट्रीज एंड द यूरोपियन यूनियन दट सी इट सेल्फ एज द प्रेमियर फोरम फॉर ग्लोबल इकोनॉमिक कोऑपरेशन इट स्टार्टेड इन नाइनटीन नाइनटी then the G7 or the G8 as it was known and it was upgraded from a ministerial level to the summit level or for the leadership in 2008 and remember that was a very important year george bush actually held the G20 it was after the global financial collapse and the G20 doesn't actually have a headquarter of its own the secretary simply moves from host country to host country so it will move to india now and as of today G20 members actually account and you can take a look at that map they account for 66% of the global population or two thirds 75% of global trades or three fourths and more than 80% of the world's gdp so four fifths of the world's gdp three fourths of global trade and two thirds of the global population actually belong to countries that make up the g20 now after indonesia and in, in india which is in 2023 the g20 will go to brazil in 2024 and then to south africa in 2025 which means this is a significant shift from the developed world to emerging economies now uh, as a part of the global south taking over the leadership of the g20 let's quickly take you to the bali g20 and many of those visuals played out through the week it was held in what its own joint communique called unparalleled multidimensional crises what were those crises they were referring to first the devastation brought by the covid-19 pandemic and this summit was all about recovering from the global pandemic 
The second, of course, climate change that seems to have been hastened in the last year, economic downturn, increased poverty, high inflation, a slowed global recovery, and sustainable development goals as well are being paused for the moment because of these crises. Of course, this year saw the China-US trade tensions get to a boil, also tensions over Taiwan, particularly remarkable. And then, of course, the war in Ukraine, which began with a Russian attack on Ukraine beginning February 2022, going on to Russia capturing about 100,000 square kilometers of its territory, then followed by Western sanctions by the US and EU, which have really led to geopolitical insecurity, major issues with food and energy security as well. And of course, we've spoken about these in previous editions of Worldview. For Indonesian President Joko Widodo, countering global tensions arising from these crises, particularly between Russia and the West, uh, US and EU, and keeping the G20 process on course was really the most challenging part of the year. Remember, in March 2022, US President Biden actually said Russia should be expelled from the G20, much as the G8 had expelled Russia over its actions in Georgia and then in Crimea in 2014. In April this year, then half of the G20's finance ministers walked out of a meeting at the International Monetary Fund in Washington in protest against Russia. Then in July, Western foreign ministers boycotted a reception with Russian foreign minister Lavrov was attending, and Lavrov then walked out of two other sessions. Of course, these became the real crux of the challenge for Indonesia. Earlier this year, I spoke to President Joko Widodo for an interview for The Hindu, and you can see the interview there, as well as my profile of Widodo really called not the balance of power, but the power of balance. Now, given this backdrop, the Bali G20 actually came away with several achievements and highlights. And particularly for India, this was very important. To begin with, there was actually a joint communique. There were deep differences over the language on Ukraine that kept all the Sherpas who were negotiating up at night. Russia finally agreed to the statement, but Foreign Minister Lavrov actually walked out. He left before it had been adopted. Given that the language was very harsh about Russia, it said, quote unquote, most countries strongly condemn the war in Ukraine, stress that it is causing immense human suffering and exacerbating existing fragilities in the global economy. Uh, so really, uh, that was pointed at Russia as the war in Ukraine has been, uh, was started uh, by Russian strikes on Ukraine earlier this year. Um, they're talking about how it constrains growth, it increases inflation, disrupts supply chains, heightens energy and food security, and elevates financial stability risks. So that was in the G20 communique. It also, in fact, added the UN resolutions had deplored Russian actions, acknowledged also that there were very different views within the G20. And of course, India has not gone along uh, with these resolutions. They've abstained from these resolutions and certainly were not part of that wording. But Prime Minister Modi's words to Putin earlier this year that this era is not of war actually made it to the G20 language. It was included in that joint communique. No joint photo op, however, was held given the differences between all the countries. The second big highlight was that of crisis management. On the first night of the G20 itself, Russia launched dozens of missiles on different cities in Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine defense systems tried to retaliate. One missile actually landed in Poland killing two people. This kept NATO and G7 leaders up all night working the phones, even while they were at Bali. The next morning, they held a special meeting to address the situation, but they also were able in those meetings to ease the fears of a NATO counter-strike or a greater war of any kind. 
The third big highlight was that meeting between President Biden and President Xi Jinping. U.S. and China resolved to cooperate on many issues, agreed to keep their dialogue going, taking talks forward uh, with now a Blinken visit. Secretary of State Blinken will go to Beijing. In fact, this was the first such meeting ever since President Biden became president. It comes a few weeks after President Xi Jinping won another term at the party congress. And it comes amidst all those U.S.-China tensions. So a very important meeting. The whole world was looking at when that would happen. And the analysis of the body language seemed to suggest that even though their issues are nowhere near being resolved, uh, they were on a closer course on how to uh, take the talks forward. Then Prime Minister Modi held several meetings there. He met for the first time with UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, also Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Meloni, who's recently been uh, elected. Uh, he also held talks with the leaders of Australia, of Singapore, of Germany, uh, and then some informal interactions that were held with US President Biden, a trilateral with Biden and Joko Widodo, uh, as well as a formal interaction with Spanish President Sanchez. Then there was this moment, and uh, this was a really important moment. It saw Prime Minister Modi actually go up to President Xi Jinping at the G20 banquet. He shook hands, they exchanged greetings. Later, the MEA uh, sort of said that this was uh, exchanging cordialities. But remember that these are two leaders that haven't spoken publicly even once since April 2020 and the military standoff at the line of actual control. They had refused to even make eye contact two months ago at the SCO in Samarkand, which we had reported on Worldview. And as I said, the MEA may have played down the talks, but the easy bonhomie you see there on the video between two leaders who have actually met 18 times before 2020, that was certainly hard to miss. It remains to be seen whether this translates into talks between India or not, but we'll come to that, uh, India and China or not, but we'll come to that in just a second. And the sixth highlight was the continuity of purpose from Indonesia to India. Uh, it became clear that for emerging economies, the biggest, biggest worries of food and energy security, climate change, health, and the digital divide really prevailed over other issues at the G20. The shift to the global south in deciding global economic priorities will be more pronounced, regardless of these conflicts that is obviously overshadowing the proceedings. Uh, and this was something that was evident during uh, the visit they made to the Indonesian mangroves, all the leaders coming together to talk about climate change and restoring the climate, in fact. The stage and the spotlight now moves to India. Uh, that will take the presidency of the G20 on December 1st this year. What we know already about India's plans is unlike other G20s that host most events at one venue, the government plans to hold 200 events at over 50 locations, including each state and union territory, and hold the summit in Delhi as well. I remember a few weeks ago, Prime Minister Modi actually unveiled the new G20 logo. He unveiled the G20 motto as well about One Earth, One World uh, and One Future. The first event now that uh, is going to come in this G20 process will come later this month. Uh, in fact, before December 1st, even when 30 or so G20 diplomats and invitees will be flown to Andamans for a preview of the G20 year to consult on the agenda ahead as well. And the first meeting of Sherpas then will take place in December in Udaipur, in Rajasthan. Now, apart from the G20, Spain is a permanent invitee. Uh, and India has actually decided to invite Bangladesh, Egypt, Mauritius, Netherlands, Nigeria, Oman, Singapore, and the UAE as well as special invitees to the 2023 uh, proceedings. 
India is also hosting the SCO next year, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, Central Asian countries, Russia, China, Pakistan, and Iran. And as it uh, actually has to host both groupings, ministerial meetings will be held for both in the months ahead. So it's going to be a very, very packed diplomatic calendar until at least September 2023. So what are the big challenges for India likely to be? Um, and we list those out for you. The first remains the Ukraine war. It still continues nine, 10 months after it started. And if it continues on this pace, we'll divide the world further. India will face the same threats of boycotts and walkouts between Russia and the West that Indonesia has had to deal with. Probably Prime Minister Modi will have to make visits uh, to Moscow, to Kiev, to Washington as well. And in the next few months, we'll see how that uh, plays out. The second big challenge, more economic strife, more inflation, food and energy costs, building consensus as well on a joint communique at the end of every major meeting is going to be difficult and India will be in the hot seat to build that consensus. The third, India's ongoing standoff with China. Xi Jinping is due actually, as I said, for G20 and SCO, Xi Jinping is due to visit twice next year. But the line of actual control standoff remains unresolved with at least two friction points where disengagement hasn't taken place. So how is that going to go forward? Uh, how will Prime Minister Modi deal with this relationship? Four, there's a need for peace with Pakistan, particularly at the LOC line of control, because obviously in a year that is so prestigious for India, they would like to see peace on all the frontiers. Pakistan Prime Minister uh, Shabazz Sharif, of course, will also be invited to attend the SCO Heads of State Summit in 2023. And it remains to be seen how that is going to be achieved, given that Prime Minister Modi and Prime Minister Sharif have really not spoken to each other. And the fifth is going to be the situation in Jammu Kashmir. Elections there could be held as early as April uh, in the year. The security environment will be very important. Officials have already warned terrorist activity could be going up. And this could be a major challenge for India. For India, the G20 presidency is clearly, though, going to be its moment in the sun. The first time it will host the world's most influential economic grouping. Uh, the biggest challenge will be to ensure that global powers keep their focus on the long-term uh, economic challenges of uh, climate change, food and energy shortages, pandemics, and the recession, instead of the more transitory focus on conflicts and global one-upmanship, while also keeping out India's own political differences with various countries in the months ahead. So that is going to be India's big challenge, apart from, of course, the logistical challenge of hosting these G20 meetings with 20 different dignitaries at each event uh, and ensuring there are enough um, uh, facilities for them. Let's get you some reading recommendations. And of course, books on the G20 seem hard to come by. They tend to be very technical or academic, but do expect a flurry of books on India's moment at the G20 within the next few months. The first I would say is V. Srinivas, who has written The Roadmap to Indian Presidency. It's a paper right now. He delivered this paper and you could read it online at, uh, at this link. I believe there is a book on the way as well. Uh, Manjeet Kripalani, Gateway House, have another book that they brought out last year called India in the G20, Rule Taker to Rule Maker. It's really a compendium of essays that have gone on so far. Then there's this by Mike Callahan called The G20 and the Future of International Economic Governance. This was written after the Australian G20 in 2015. So it really deals with some of the issues that were there before, but still many per per pertinent ones. There are more general books I would recommend. And really, this is my favorite part of Worldview each week to look at some of the books I've read that I've benefited from. 
which will help you build uh, a certain interest, not just in the G20 process itself, but also in all the issues they are grappling with. There's Farid Zakaria's 2008 book. It's called The Post-American World. And then a few books by Adam Tooze, more recent. One is called Crashed, How a Decade of Financial Crises Changed the World. Of course, one of the changes was in the G20 itself. Uh, another one called Shutdown, How COVID Shook the World's Economy. So both of those, very important to read by this very, very good writer on economic issues. There's Kishore Mehbubani from Singapore. He's written The ASEAN Miracle. I think I've spoken about it before. There's also these other books uh, called Has China Won? China Challenge to American Primacy. Has the West Lost It? That's another book, A Provocation. And the third book is Great Convergence, Asia, the West, and the Logic of One World. So all of those books actually just from Kishore Mehbubani. Uh, there's Making India Great by Aparna Pandey. Talks a little bit about the hesitance with hesitation within India as well about taking this great global power. Not One Inch, America, Russia and the Making of Post-Cold War Stalemate. This is by Mary Elise Sarot, a very, very interesting work by this professor. Uh, a World Safe for Democracy, Liberal Internationalism and the Crises of Global Order by John Eikenberry, another very important book for you. And then four short books I will end with, which have been written by Joseph Nye. I've spoken about him before, particularly on the issue of soft power, but those books are called Soft Power, Smart Power, The Future of Power, and The Powers to Lead. These are not recent books, but all of them extremely interesting, and we hope you enjoy them too. That's all we have time for here on Worldview this week, but do join us again, and we're going to keep a track on the G20 process for you from the team here. Thanks for watching.